I know for me personally, as much as I like to grocery shop, sometimes I get really overwhelmed and anxious in the store when there's just a lot of people around or I can't find something. Or maybe you just feel tired and you really don't want to go to the grocery store. If this sounds like you, check out Instacart. I have left a link in the show notes for you. You can get your groceries delivered in as little as one hour from all your favorite brands and stores. So check out Instacart today. Today I'm speaking with my friend Casey Talbot. Casey is a fighter pilot in the Navy and he currently lives in Washington. He found rock climbing in the early spring of 2019 when an ex-girlfriend took him to the climbing gym for the first time. That day in the gym started a dream and passion for him to not only become a better climber, but it also opened him to the idea that dreams and beauty are not just for vacations and weekends, but rather a constant pursuit of happiness. So with that being said, let's jump into Casey's interview and let him tell the story for himself. Thank you for joining me, Casey. Um, you and I started rock climbing actually around the same time, which was spring 2019. And so I do want to talk about that in a little bit. But aside from climbing, um, you said you graduated the U.S. Naval Academy in 2011, and then you've been a naval aviator since 2014. So I don't know much about this, but I want to hear about it. So what made you pursue the Navy and specifically aviation? Yeah, so I've always been interested in aviation, like ever since I was a little kid. Um, but I grew up playing baseball and that was my big passion. And in high school, I put everything into that. Um, always been an athlete, always just found athletics or the pursuit of sport to be kind of like the thing that I always identified well with. So it was baseball and, um, education was always pretty to me. And through baseball, I actually had a chance to go to the Naval Academy. A lot of people don't know it's like a division one university. Um, so I played yeah, so uh, I played baseball there for uh, a good like two and a half, three years, but I actually ended up stopping in order to pursue um, kind of my next dream or next goal there of being like a fighter pilot in the Navy. So ended up doing that. And the three year gap between graduating and, and becoming a Naval aviator, becoming a pilot is basically the training. So I spent three years in like flight school or really two two and a half. So yeah, it's kind of the, the background there. <laughs> what is flight school like? I imagine it's probably pretty intense. It can be pretty intense. It's you're learning an entirely new, very technical kind of somewhat dangerous skill, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you graduate from the Academy, but you actually are commissioned as an officer in the Navy and designated to be a pilot you can be several other things out of the naval academy like a marine or like a seal or like a submariner or like even like a doctor there's like all these all sorts of things you can do um but mine was uh my path was to be a pilot so we all start in pensacola florida um, every naval aviator begins their career and it's like you go there and you sign in and you get your like class date and then your first class in the navy as a pilot is like six weeks of learning about like weather and aerodynamics and flight rules and regulations and then navigation and then like survival classes. And, you know, it's it's just, it's kind of, you're just bright eyed and really excited about it, but then you start to um, fly and it's just an incredibly stressful year and a half, but it's actually really fun because you're kind of all in it together. And there's two parts to it. The first one is primary flight training, which teaches you like the basics. um, Mm -hmm. And that lasts for about a year. And, depending on your grades out of that, if you do really well, you can get your first choice of what you're going to fly in the Navy. And there's like really three, there's jets, helicopters, or um, maritime patrol aircraft. And to, to make things simple for your audience, that's like a Boeing 737. So like Southwest okay. Airlines with uh, with a bunch of Navy missions to it, I guess. <laughs> cool. So yeah. you chose jets, obviously chose jets and I chose jets because they're cool because they land on carriers and also honestly primarily because it gave me a chance to come home to Washington where I'm stationed and also where I'm from and where I'm going to live. (laughs) Yeah, you love Washington. So that's awesome. Um, Wow. Yeah, that sounds pretty intense. I mean, I have never like been in a jet, obviously, but I have experienced G-forces like that, and it makes me almost pass out. So I don't know how you do it. Yeah, we actually are trained in maneuvers to basically flex our muscles in such a way that keeps 
blood in our brain so we don't pass out. <laughs> Whoa, so, so you're like flying and like flexing <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, but only when we're flying like straight, I mean, it feels like being in a room, but when you're, you know, banking the jet and pulling and turning, obviously like the G-forces are going to start multiplying, so. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So, so does that like take a toll on your body at all? Like when it comes to like climbing or any other sport, I mean, I don't know how that affects you. No. So if you did it enough, it definitely would. And there's a lot of uh, fighter pilots that do develop um, some back issues. I think, I think there's also, there's been a couple cases of like other internal issues, but um, no, oh, no. no, not, not, not for me. It's never affected, uh, never affected me. We have, I'm an instructor right now, so I'm actually teaching new fighter pilots a variety of mission sets, and not all of them are very like dynamic or intense. So, wow, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So you live in Washington, but you said you were like born. Were you born in New Mexico, or you just grew up there? No, so I was born in New Mexico. I I lived there for 11 years, and my dad ended up getting a job here in like 1999, I think. Okay. Uh, so we ended up moving from New Mexico to Seattle, which is definitely different um yeah being the, being the climber i am now i'm like looking at new mexico with like like awe and wonder at like all of the incredible granite there and some of the some of the unclimbed areas so i can't i really can't wait to go back there and kind of explore um yeah it seems pretty magical but i always took that for granted and that's kind of one of the one of the things we talked about earlier is just like even even the Pacific Northwest i'm still looking at it and like i can't believe i live here um it's incredible the opportunities that anybody that is somewhat interested even in the outdoors has. It's just, you know, on your doorstep. So it's cool. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful state. I've never been, but I want to go very badly. It looks incredible. But you said you didn't even like realize what was around you for a long time. No, I, um, yeah. I mean, a lot of my friends that know me tell me to like give myself a break because I'm always beating myself up about the fact that I kind of picked up the magic and the the passion for for climbing and for the outdoors at kind of a later age. But, you know, I think there's also a beauty to that because while I lived here for so long and never knew like what the state had to offer for me and what mm -hmm. the mountain and, and, and the crags and stuff had to offer for me, I still always had this like this like wonderment when I stare at them. I mean, when everybody comes to Washington, they look at Mount Rainier and they're like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. And like, wow, people climb that. And now it's like totally viable and like totally doable. And um, I, I, I do kind of like smirk at that. I think it's kind of fun <laughs> and I appreciate it. Um, there's this, there's this ad uh, that Arcteryx has on YouTube called 35 and I highly recommend you watch it. If you haven't, it's, <laughs> that also made me smile because it's, it's very much about me at like, you know, not knowing these things were around me and now these things that are around me that I didn't know about are like my happy place. So. Oh, that's awesome. So was there like a specific moment when it kind of hit you like, Oh my gosh, I live in this beautiful place or like, was it just slowly over time? It was slowly over time. I think if I were to make some sort of like time stamp on a, a time and a place, I live in a little city up north in about an hour and a half north of Seattle called Anacortes. Okay. And this sea town on this island, but sprawling out of the middle of the island is this about 1,100 foot massive cliff called Mount Erie. Oh, wow. And Seattle climbers know Mount Erie is like a nice place to go up and crag. Um, Mount Erie was originally established by a legendary uh, mountaineer and climber in the area named Dallas Cloak. And he worked really hard for like 30 years to like develop these trails and, and uh, bolt these routes. And it's pretty well known, kind of known for its views, but not really like as known as it should be. And we kind of, I'm on the podcast now. So like the cat's out of the bag, but we, we kind of <laughs> try to keep it a secret a little bit. Oh yeah. Um, but I would, yeah, but I would, <laughs> I would pass this this mountain every day on the way to work for four years and be like, oh, that's pretty cool. I heard there's like some some rock climbers up there or something, you know, and wouldn't give it much thought. Years and years yeah. went by. And I remember coming down it one night with like my headlamp. I was with my buddy Tony. You know, my headlamp goes out. We lost our way on the climber's trail. We ended up having to <gasps> some alpine adventure wrapping up. Oh, wow. the <laughs> Turned into an epic a, adventure. 
turned into an epic adventure. I was all like, I'm like 10 minutes from my house feeling like I just got out of like the North Cascades. Um, and I remember driving home and just being like, you know what, like that rock that stared at me for like three or four years, like just provided me like such a fun adventure. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Like, yeah, so it's just amazing kind of what they're, what's out there, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's so many beautiful places in the world that, you know, sometimes beauty can be hidden in plain sight. Like you drive past something every day and don't pay much attention and then something happens and it becomes relevant and you're like, wow, this was here the whole time. It's pretty yeah, interesting. I, it is. I think we had a connection uh, in that as well. Like I remember you wrote something about how your hikes just did something to you or made you feel something that you've like never really felt before. Oh, then, yeah. Yeah. And then like you... I don't know you just seem to like have seen the like felt the same thing and like like how did you come about climbing how did you come about like your love for the outdoors especially coming from the the, the musical streets of nashville you know like it's, oh yeah i did like a complete 180. <laughs> yeah, um I mean. it it kind of hit me out of nowhere um because so i was oh, i feel like i've told you a little bit about this but i don't know if i've told you the full story um but one day i was home from work and I was sick and I really enjoy documentaries. Like if, if there's the option between a documentary and a regular film, I'm going to choose a documentary. So I was just scrolling through Netflix and I saw um, Valley Uprising and I was like, oh, what is that? It looks kind of interesting. So I turned it on and it was like tunnel vision. Like I can't even describe it. Um, it was just like, I felt like I saw the world for the first time. I was like, there's this whole world out there that I didn't know existed. Um, I had always wanted to go to Yosemite, but I didn't know a ton about it. And I did not know climbing was a sport, actually, which is naive and wow. silly. But I, I didn't think people did that. I thought that you had like the rock climbing wall in the gym in PE when you were in elementary school. And then that was it. Like, I didn't know it was a sport. Um but so, yeah, so I watched this documentary and it was like this internal voice that was like, this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And I've never had that before. And I mean, I had music um, and I always loved music. And it was like, I was never good at sports or anything. So music was just kind of what I did. But this was something completely different. So it was only like maybe two weeks later, I went to the gym for the first time. I could barely make it up a 5'7". I don't even think I made it up. I made it up halfway. And I was like, wow, I'm absolutely terrible. But I was just, I wanted to do whatever it took to get better. Um, because I, I was like, I don't want to ever do anything else. This is it for me. Um, and prior to that, I had gone camping and stuff with my family. So I'd always been kind of outdoorsy. I loved um, nature, but I didn't truly appreciate it until I started climbing and then hiking more and realizing that like, I don't know, the woods kind of feel like home. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got into it. Um, it definitely hit me like a freight train out of nowhere, which was pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm still having a hard time. Um kind of trying to put it into words I like to write a lot and I, I don't know what it is for me either as to like what what hit me but in kind of the same way I think I think climbing for me has it's kind of redefined myself um, both physically and mentally kind of un, unintentionally I mean if you're if you keep climbing you're gonna get in shape pro tip just yeah I do um, <laughs> yep and, <laughs> but it's 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 allowed me to to see things and, and see the world in such a different way. So for the record, we could have an entire podcast on Peter Mortimer and <laughs> the genius that he is. And if you ever have a chance, so Valley Uprising is one of my all-time favorite films. I will sometimes put it on in the background just to hear the music. Oh, the music's great. To kind of hear. I think it's Peter Sarsgaard that does the narration. Um, I think that's his name. Sorry if it's not. Um, but to, like just to hear his voice and then that last scene where uh, of course my favorite song from my favorite band coincidentally like it's meant to be right now and the beautiful like stock footage that Peter Mortimer uh, did uh, of Honold um, those like recreated scenes climbing Half Dome with that like sunlight you're just like oh my god 
this is so amazing. And like, this is something I want to be a part of. Like, did you not feel that? Was that not like, that's exactly what it felt. No, that's exactly it. It was just like, you're watching this film of these people and it just, they looked so happy. It was like, until, and maybe this is naive too. um, But until I watched this movie, I was like, Oh, I mean, you know, there's people who do what they want in life and they travel or, you know, maybe they're like a musician or, you know, whatever they do and they they do what they want. And I was like, they're like the chosen ones. And then you have the people who like have a normal nine to five job. Um, and then watching Valley Uprising, I started to realize that it, people aren't the chosen ones. They just go for it. They're just doing what they want to do and that there are alternative lifestyles. And until that point, I don't think I had ever realized that. And so that was pretty life-changing for me personally, just to be like, oh, if you just truly go after what you want in life, then you can have the life that you want. You don't have to do it one way just because society says so. So that was pretty interesting like to realize. I think for me, it's that, but I, so I saw this movie after I had been to Yosemite for the first time. Oh, I bet that changed the game. Oh, it changed the game. I mean, like, you know, I went to, I went to Yosemite for the first time and that's because I just made a decision. Like what's really funny is like (laughs) Jack Kerouac's words were like echoing in me the entire way down from Seattle to Yosemite. Like, you know, like there's nowhere to go, but everywhere, just like basically yeah. they're just like, get out there and hit the road and go do it. And I did it. And it was really scary. Like, like I, I, I have a van now and I've put, you know, 7,000 miles on it already. And I just plan to keep on, keep on climbing and keep on exploring and keep on using it. And it's, it's been wonderful. But like the first time I, I do that, I'm like, dude, Casey, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? Like, nobody does this. Society doesn't do this. And then <laughs> <laughs> kind of got more comfortable with it and you know like a little bit of stealth camping parking lots on the way there and all that like you know hashtag van life but once yeah. once you get to yosemite you just you don't even have to see valley uprising and you feel those same feelings you're like there is granite to the right of me there is granite to the left of me if i were sitting here like in the 50s with a group of my friends like of course we would go explore and of course we would go climb and for those guys to not only like do that and be happy, but like do it with what like Yvonne Chouinard mentions that they like stole, um, or maybe it was Royal Robbins, they stole like hemp uh, ropes from like the phone companies and like, <laughs> yeah. made, their own, made their own tools and pitons. It's just like the magnitude of what those guys did back then. Like, I don't think there's anything quite like it. No, and, it was like definitely changed the course of history. I think it did too, but the great part about the climbing lore and the history and what Peter Mortimer did with Valley Rising. It's like, basically if I were to summarize the entire movie, it's like, these guys are the most badass guys in the world. Uh, Lynn Hill's the most badass woman in the world. These people came together. They did the most badass things in the world and they're not rubbing it in anybody's face or saying it's for them. Like the entire movie is like, come, like come out to Yosemite and find your own adventure. And for me, that was like, that is so cool. That is you know? so cool. Yeah, I totally agree with you. So how you found rock climbing, how did you find it? And then like, can you explain how you went from the first day in the gym to taking your van to Yosemite and then where you like are now with it? I I ended up dating a, uh, she's my ex-girlfriend. She's, she's still a friend and I thank her periodically for, for, uh, convincing me to go to the gym one day, but she was, she is very outdoorsy and she's involved in, um, a lot of outdoor clubs in Washington. There's so many. And at the time she was involved with a outdoor school called Bow Alps, which I think is short for Boeing Alpinists and it is a company that basically if you're a Boeing employee and there's probably a hundred thousand in the state of Washington, um, you can, you know, gain access to a bunch of schools, whether it be rock climbing or whether it be backcountry skiing or whatnot. And she was heavily involved in that. And this is really funny and it's kind of vulnerable. I remember saying to her, and this is like not even three years ago, oh, wow. two and a half years. Recent. But I remember, 
Yeah, but I remember saying to her, why would you ever want to go outdoors when you can just have the comfort of being inside? I still cringe thinking about saying that to her. <laughs> but that's like where Crazy. I was because in the Navy, like I had gone to SEER school, which is like survival school. And, you know, I had gone six days without eating or five days without eating. I think we had like an orange peel or something. And I had like been very cold and like they put you through like the ringer outside. So after that, I was just kind of like, okay, like I get it. Camping like, you know, really sucks. And that kind of camping really, really sucks. And like, why would you ever do that? It just didn't occur to me that like getting outside was more than just about like being cold and like waking up in like a, a, a tent full of like moisture all around you. It was, it was interesting, but she took me to a climbing gym and I liked it and I was really bad at it. So yeah. <laughs> a few, a few days later I went back by myself. I'm like, I'm bored. I'm going to go back and like, see if I can climb those, those red climbing holds or whatever. Like I didn't even know what V ratings were like <laughs> five, five ratings or so I went back and I did it again. And I specifically remember, I don't remember a whole lot of details, but I specifically remember uh, not being able to get up an auto belay five, eight or five, nine. Same. Um, I specifically remember being extremely proud of my first V2. Oh, that's and, an accomplishment. Uh, but that was like a week or two later. And then I developed really bad tendonitis because um, I kept going back and back and back. And I finally bought a punch pass and then I finally bought a membership. Mm -hmm. And then I started Instagramming this thing. Like, are, are there other people out there that rock climb? And yeah. Like, and I'm like, oh, there's this, you know, who's a... Uh, Who's Kevin Jorgensen? Who's Tommy Caldwell? Who's Julian? <laughs> like, who are these people? Like, who's Alex Pucci? Like, and I'm starting to learn that there's like this sport. <laughs> so yeah, you were kind of the same way. Like, you didn't really know anything about it. I didn't know much about it. Um, I just really liked it, and it, it's maybe it's a cliche story, but you know, I, I just that's how it happened for me. And my first outdoor climb was on Mount Erie with the same girl. She took me out to. Sunset Slabs, which is in Washington where everybody has their first rock climb. <laughs> it's like a slab that you can hang a top rope off of. Um, there's these overly protective like staples at the top and um, it just it just kept going from there. There's a picture of me on that slab and I, I, I just look different. Like I look like I'm about to like, I'm about to be happy for for the time but like before that I just didn't really have much I mean I had a lot of hobbies and I did, it's not like I was you know empty but it was more of the emptier years of my life because I didn't really have something that was like as close to a calling as climbing is for me yeah I just kept going and kept going and kept going and I learned I'm mostly self-taught um, but I have sought out some guides and for your podcast listeners if guys are very expensive um, and that's like totally understandable but I'm such an advocate for them um, I've heard in very small sec sectors of climbing that that there may be a stigma towards them but I, I really think that that's silly if you ever have a chance to get a guide like they are there to make sure that you are smart and efficient um, and understand situations and understand systems um so i did that once or twice and it really changed the course um of of my of my climate career. i got really into the systems i got really into like how do you get a rope like after like i didn't know like how i couldn't fathom the idea that you could climb and not set a top rope <laughs> like <laughs> two years ago so yeah that's um, something to comprehend yeah. for sure yeah so i'm like oh how do i do that so you know went to youtube first um I met a guide in Joshua Tree named Jared Stiles. Uh, his Instagram is Alpine Vagabond. He's an incredible dude, brilliant guy. He's climbed Salathay Wall, Lurking Fear, regular North Face of Half Dome. You name it, you name it, you name it. And he just gave me such a spark for like, this is all possible. Like, this is how to do this. This is how to be safe. And oh, by the way, like, you can do it too. And I'm like, holy crap, like me, you know? Anybody um, can do this? Like what? <laughs> anybody can do. Yeah, we were talking. We had a conversation. I'm like, yeah, it's it really is my dream to like climb El Cap, but like I don't even know how to like do multi pitch yet. And he's like, well, let's go do multi pitch, and then we'll talk about El Cap. And like we did it that day. Oh uh, wow! Climbed, oh my gosh! We climbed Dapple. We climbed Dapple Mare and Joshua. Nothing is tall in Joshua Tree, by the way. But Dapple okay. Mare is like the four pitch. 
uh, it's like this four pitch route. Um, and I'm like, wow, like at the end of that, I was like, wow, I really can do this and I can do it somewhat the right way. I need to do yeah. it though. So that really, it just takes something like that. It takes a mentor and it takes mm-hmm. a mentor that is confident enough to teach uh, the mentee like proper technique and proper systems. And that's really, I mean, just to be outside and just appreciate mm-hmm. the rock and appreciate the present and appreciate like the movement of the body. Like that's all that, I don't know. It's meditation. It's perfect. It is meditation. That's a great way to put it. It's definitely like therapy. I think when, I mean, I, I'm sure people experience this in different ways, but like, I think for both of us climbing, you just go in a different mental state, like flow state. And it's all you can think about in that moment. Climbing is so physically and mentally demanding that it's like, you can't, you don't have room to think about anything else. And then you find yourself being so present in the moment and it's just pretty incredible. It is. And the thing I've discovered is, is I've kind of, explored and and started climbing these routes in the cascades and and started getting out is is it's like i don't really care about getting to the top it's usually about everything in between and i love Mm -hmm. the climb but when you start doing this enough you start to really appreciate like the crackle of the campfire the way like i mean there's just so many little things the the clinking of like the climbing gear like getting the gear ready the day before the how just grumpy you are on the descent you know (laughs) really long And how incredible like a pickle tastes or like oh yeah after a super long 12 day or 12 hour day out you know like and that's the stuff that i never ever i would have like lived my entire life and died never knowing that stuff had i not walked into a climbing gym one day yeah it's crazy because it's like especially after a long day outside it's like when you're coming down from the climb and you're exhausted, it's almost like all of your senses are heightened. Like everything tastes better. Everything smells better. You're so happy. You're present in the moment and you're not thinking about any of your problems or anything. It's just everything is better, if that makes sense. Everything is better. It's, yeah, I can't say it. I couldn't have said it any better. Things <laughs> <laughs> are better. It's elevated. Yeah, exactly. And you're probably going to cringe when I tell you this and you're going (laughs) to, you're going to be like, no. (laughs) Um, So you hired a a guide. Um, I, I taught myself trad climbing in the middle of this whole pandemic. So I, I did not have that option, but I also, I didn't know anyone at my gym or anything to teach me trad climbing. So what I did, and I don't rec- I do not recommend this method, but it's what worked for me. Um, I completely taught myself like how to build an anchor, how to swing leads, um, belay from the top, everything, how to like place cams, all of that on my coat rack. <laughs> no, that's that's amazing. Um, thank you. I have never. What? I do recommend that for your listeners. I do recommend that, by the okay. way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's a great way to practice. Um, I just don't – I don't know if I recommend um, – because, like, I looked up stuff on YouTube. I researched everything I could find um, just on how to do it correctly. This is the part I don't know that I recommend. Um, I had never put a cam in the wall until uh-huh. I led my first trad climb. <laughs> So it went great though, but I knew what to look for. I knew what to do because I had researched so much. Um, so I'm, I mean, I'm happy I taught myself. I feel like I can trust myself a lot more. I feel like I had to research so much that I truly know what I'm doing. There's still so much I need to learn. Um, but I definitely think if you can learn from somebody experienced, that might be a better way to go. Um, but I didn't have that option during a pandemic. <laughs> It is. It is. I mean, just learning from somebody experience. It's not. I mean, not necessarily the better way to go. I really think it's very fortunate. I remember when we first met. Um, I think one of the first things I said to you was like, we were having a conversation relating to it or something. But I was like, yeah, I have a, a really tough time finding partners. And oh yeah, it's, that's right. It's mainly because I, I'm just kind of shy and mm-hmm. I'm a very independent person. And also, when you're not good at something. Let me rephrase that. When I'm not good at something, <laughs> I'm kind of embarrassed. So 
I spent countless hours just like like in my garage, like and on YouTube and reading, like learning about um, self belay. And I know it's inherently dangerous. It's not something I recommend, but it's something that is possible. And what mm -hmm. I would recommend if people do go out and self belay is they go to the Petzl website, and they simply use Petzl's uh, factory recommendations on how to self belay should you should you need to. And by self belay, I really mean top rope solo. So I learned how to top rope solo and I went out and I did laps and laps and laps and laps. And what it did is it allowed me to like feel the rock and get kind of good at systems. Mm -hmm. But what it didn't allow me to learn at all is like you said, trad climbing. And it also didn't allow me to learn lead climbing, like having the lead head in the mental game. Mm -hmm. um, but what you, what you are doing and what you have done is exactly what you should be doing. Like, there is a wealth of incredible information on YouTube that is free to you that you would learn with any guide. You just kind of have to, it's like anything, you have to find the information, know what to find. So like for your listeners, um, for repelling, um, YouTubing the universal belay standard, there's UBS one and UBS two, um, not repelling, excuse me, belaying. Um, but then for repelling anything with uh, Dale Remsburg or any AMGA or IFMGA guide on mm -hmm. YouTube, I think Outdoor Research has a bunch of videos uh, with Dale Remsburg and company. Those are just absolutely fantastic videos to get started on. Yeah, he's very knowledgeable. Um, very knowledgeable, yep. And the AAC has an entire playlist, I think, devoted to a bunch of uh, climbing techniques. Um, and then also uh, my friend and one of the main... I haven't met anybody more knowledgeable uh, in the climbing community ever. His name's Cody Bradford. He is the Cody Bradford on Instagram, and he has a Tech Tip Tuesday every Tuesday. Um, he's very um, approachable, very passionate about climbing, and he has a bunch of stuff both on YouTube and Instagram uh, that will help bring your climbing and your systems knowledge really to the next level. But just like you, I've, I've practiced on coat hangers too, you know? <laughs> It's kind of how you got to do it. Like, yeah, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. <laughs> I, I used to be so bad at, at, at clipping quick draws, um, lead climbing. I used to take so much energy doing that. And um, mm -hmm. I just I would, I just practiced on my bed or practiced, you know, in the shower, like wherever I could and eventually end up getting good at it. It doesn't have to be on the rock. A lot of these things you can take and um, distill down to, to drills. So. Yeah, exactly. And for people who don't know what top rope soloing is, can you explain that a little bit so sure. people can understand like kind of what you were doing? Yep. So top rope soloing is, I think, officially called self-belay uh, by manufacturers because they don't want to be known as top rope solo gear producers or whatever. But yeah. uh, um, And again, I recommend going to Petzl's website to get instructions on, on how to do this appropriately, but it's where you set a top rope. And if that top rope is weighted, it basically becomes a kind of a stiff strand of rope, a vertical stiff strand of rope. And you can utilize your harness to attach what are called self-belaying devices or progress capture devices that can basically go up the rope uh, very smoothly. But then if you weight the rope, they will capture the rope so you don't fall. Um, so think of it like attaching something to like a pole that can like move up, but mm -hmm. can't move down. And that's really what top rope soloing is. Now it can get very dangerous um, if you're not very careful about it, if you don't have a good plan um, and inherently because you're by yourself and something goes wrong, um, that can also be pretty dangerous. So again, I recommend um, obviously always having a partner or attempting to have one, but if you do find yourself needing to self belay, um, do it in a in a manner which the manufacturer uh, recommends. Um, micro traction is kind of the commonly used device for self belaying, um, though it is a tooth device. Meaning, if you put any sort of shock on the rope, there is an inherent risk in potentially fraying the rope, um, which is why you have to be very careful when you're top rope solely not taking any whips and, and things of that nature. But that's essentially what it is. <laughs> so the first time that you did that was. Was it scary? Because, I mean, you're kind Incredibly. of, yeah, you're going out there by yourself. Something could go wrong. This is the first time you've ever done it. What was that like? It was hilarious looking <laughs> back on it because the first time I did it was also the first time I ever set an anchor outside. So people, that, 
people, <laughs> people that know climbing are, are going to get a kick out of this. I set <laughs> my anchor was it was four large self-locking carabiners <laughs> extended with two cordelettes. <laughs> I was just like, I'm going to be like so safe. Like there's no way. I'm um, so safe. <laughs> so safe. It was just, it was funny. I, there's a YouTube video that makes fun of climbing called uh, like top, top rope. It's what is it? Uh, it's like top rope solo all-stars or something or like, and, and there's uh, they make fun of like people that set super safe anchors and they have like a 16 piece trad anchor that they did. <laughs> but uh, it was kind of like that. It was just like this ridiculous anchor. Um, I set that um, and, you know, set my rope and I went back down to the crag. This was sunset slabs again and attached my progress capture devices and just kind of started up. And I'm like waiting at like every three feet. I'm like, is this going to work? Is this going to work? And it ended up working. Wow. That's and, awesome. Yeah. Just kind of how you got to build confidence. It's climbing. You got to get a little bit scared and, trust your knowledge and don't do anything you know that you're unsure of yeah but, yeah so you said that you also want to climb el cap um you know that's my goal too so yeah. why why el cap and like when do you think you might do that do you have a specific route you want to take or i do i have a couple but if i may Brittany. Uh -huh. Yeah, I do, I do want to know a little bit about, I've seen you climb some super awesome stuff in Eldo. And, Thanks. And uh, how, did, how did your practice and preparation um, in your, you know, in, during your quarantine and in your house or whatever prepare you for that? And did you feel pretty confident out there? Oh, yeah. So that climb that I did in Eldo, I think that was my favorite climb of all time. It was, I mean, like I went you know, I went out to Utah and I climbed a lot there and that was incredible and I loved it. But there was something about the one in Eldo that was just different. Like it was, so it was a 510A crack climb and I, I love crack climbing. I'm not like the best at it, but I do love it. Um, and so I, I led or not led the climb. I followed the climb. Um, and one of my friends led it, but it was like, I do think that my time in quarantine definitely did prepare me because I knew exactly how to clean the route. Um, once we got up to the top, I knew exactly how the anchor was set up. I'm like, if I were to lead, I would have felt comfortable leading that climb. Actually, it was very, wow. it was very, I don't want to say easy because there was one part that was a little difficult where you had to kind of go over this bulging rock and <laughs> kind of just had to like jump and lay your whole body on it um but so other than that to me the whole climb felt pretty relaxed um and so my friend asked me he was like so do you know like about like cleaning like pulling the cams and the nuts out of the wall and I'm like oh yeah I got it like it's fine and I just kind of cruised right up and then um I was sitting at the anchor belaying them while they went up to the next pitch and um so had I not taught myself all of that, I feel like I would have been pretty lost and very nervous and I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. Um, but I've actually already picked out another climb that I want to do. And I told them, I was like, I want to lead that one. It looks incredible. It's this, um, it's a single pitch climb. It's another 510A crack. It's called Darkness Till Dawn. Um, and it just looks amazing. So yeah, and then I did um, a multi-pitch climb out in Utah. And again, I didn't lead that one. That one I would have felt a little more nervous leading because everything was so spaced out and we were on the side of this like 800 foot tall mountain that it was all slab. But if you were to fall, you would have just kept going. So um, I did not want to lead that one. Uh, but doing that, I also learned a lot. Um, that was the first time that we had two parties actually. Um, so that was the first time I did that. We had two different ropes going. Um, and so I knew, I, I kind of knew it was happening because I had taught myself things. So it was nice to, to go into these situations already having a knowledge of it um, and feeling overall very comfortable. I knew how to repel. Um, I could have built an anchor had I needed to. I knew how to break down the anchor and everything. So yeah, I definitely think that um my my practicing paid off <laughs> i think i think your desire and like stoke and ability to lead like this early on is 
very, very impressive. And it's actually pretty inspiring. Um, seeing this, well, some of the you. stuff, you've, seeing this, some of the stuff you've done and like the progress you've made, you're a really good climber. And, and Thanks. for your listeners too, like your technique, and this is something I can't emphasize enough because I'm just starting to get into the real specifics of all of it. I, I'm a very elaborate type person. Um, and, and I like to study things just cause I don't know, maybe I don't have a life or something, but like <laughs> I study, I study great climbers and I study how they move on the rock. And I mean, obviously I'm going to point to Adam Andra. Uh, I'm going to point to Nina. Um, just there's incredible there's climbers, incredible climbers. There's a lot of them, but the way they move on the rock is very similar. And, and all these climbers have that in common. And it seems like you naturally have like the ability to understand where your body is, your body's strongest position, you do a drop knee, which is an incredibly advanced technique. Um, it's just keep it up. It's like really, really cool to see. Like for me, um, being on granite all the time in the North Cascades, like I've realized that I need to place a very strong emphasis on my feet. Um, and it kind of goes the same with face climbing as well. And something I'm constantly working. I want to get these systems and like learn all the trad stuff. Like technique is really what's going to make a, uh, okay day, like a super fun day mm-hmm. because you never want to have a foot blowout or something that shouldn't have blown out. And that's happened right. twice. So, um, I'm definitely getting there. I, I would say to listeners too, like learning about trad, follow a lot of trad, just follow, 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 follow. And eventually that's going to make you so much better because you're going to see gear placed. You're going to see good gear and bad gear. And you're going to see mm-hmm. kind of how other people think. Cause the cool thing about trad is it's like abstract art. You're like, Oh I yeah. Definitely, I definitely wouldn't have gone that way. I definitely wouldn't have placed gear in that crack, but that was really awesome. And I probably should think about that next time. So like, it, <laughs> it expand your mind. It's awesome. Yeah. I actually have two um, comments. This actually, so this happened to me, uh, Friday night. Um, so there's this five thirteen in the gym that I'm doing. And, um, when you talked about footwork, I I like to film myself climbing just because if I fall or something, I want to know why, like what was the thing that made me fall. And so I got to the top and the top is where the crux is at on this climb. And there's this very slippery foothold, um, and I kept falling off of it. And I'm like, why am I falling off? And then I realized when I first step onto it, I have to have my toe. But then to move to the next move, I have to have like basically the whole ball of my foot. And as soon as I figured that out, I just cruised it. And then and then at the bottom, like I came back down and I had one of the staff ask me, he's like, how did you do this beginning move? Because he's like, I was watching somebody else do it the other day and he did it completely differently. And so it's interesting, you're right, to see how different people see things and what comes to their mind and how like emphasis on technique and footwork especially is super important. For sure. It's yeah. amazing. Um, with kind of kind of changing changing back towards the lane that uh, that that you wanted to go down originally though yeah as far as Yosemite's concerned um mm-hmm. I kind of have this like this whole like plan for October um to start getting ready to climb El Cap and I'm really aiming for not this fall but the following fall um to give it a first push but nice. what I'm gonna yeah what I'm gonna try to do when I get to El Cap when I get to El Cap wow when I get to Yosemite <laughs> in October is I have a bunch of free climbs I'm going to try. And then I also have a bunch of aid prep that I'm going to try. There's a, a climber named Chris Mack or Chris McNamara who you've heard of. And he's um, put up a lot of the topo for these routes mm-hmm. and um, is a very good instructor. He has a bunch of YouTube uh, videos on, on aid climbing as well. Um, you could just search uh, super topo on YouTube, but um, there's an eight pitch climb called snake dike. Um, I think it's on the side of Half Dome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to try that. And then uh, Serenity Crack, the Sons of Yesterday, which is kind of in the Royal Arches area. Uh, that's an eight-pitch climb. I'm going to try that as well. Um, and then I really want to climb the East Buttress because the East Buttress of El Cap, it's a 510C, mm-hmm. um, gives you kind of a familiarization to the descent from El Cap, assuming you don't want to walk around. Because um, most people descend El Cap via the East Ledges. Um, and then from there, like just climbing higher cathedral spire, um, is going to be something that will help me with El Cap as well. 
And then for all the things that aren't going to help me with El Cap, but are just going to make for magical, glorious days, I really want to go to Tuolumne and, and, and do uh, uh, Mathis Crest to uh, New Cathedral. Um, like yeah, that would else. be amazing. <laughs> yeah. That sounds then, awesome. Um, yeah. And then for aid prep, um, there's, a, there's a couple of aid prep walls on in, in the valley that, that people use to kind of get ready with their systems and stuff. But yeah. I think I would love to try to do free rider. Yeah, I think that would be a good one. Um, and because of the continuous uh, crack and then some of the really, really hard, really, really hard face climbing. Yeah. And so you climb on granite a lot in Washington. Is that, yeah. that's what, and I think that's going to help you tremendously with Yosemite because that's one thing that I need to get better at is there, there's not like a lot of granite slab, you know, out in Tennessee. There's none um, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, I think the closest is like North Carolina. Um, but so that I mean, that's a whole different world. Granite slab is completely different. When I went to Utah, I was like, oh, five, seven, easy. No, it was terrifying. <laughs> um, so that's really amazing that you're like, you have all of these planned and I, I can't wait to see pictures. Actually, I'm planning on going to Yosemite in October too. So I might see you there. Yeah, um, we'll climb together. You yeah, that would be so fun. That would be so fun. And the, and the great part about all these goals is I don't have a timeline. I just, if they happen, they happen. If not, I'm going to get better and I'm going to have fun. So Yeah. Like, and I think that's important because then there's not so much pressure on yourself. Like, oh, I, why didn't I do this? It's just enjoying it, learning and keeping your eye on your eventual goal of El Cap. And then, you know, come next year, you will probably be ready. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope so. But if I'm not ready, then I'm not ready. And there's always the following October or whatever. Like, I just want to make the the push at a time where I feel like there's no distractions or no like, mm -hmm. am I really ready? Thoughts. I just want to just go. So, You're, yeah, I totally, I totally understand that. Yeah. That's amazing. And so then you said um, next week you're going to the Cascades. I am. I'm doing the Southwest Rib of North Early Winter Spire in the North Cascades in Washington Pass, which is just a throne room of beautiful granite spires. And highly recommend everybody check them out. I th think the route I'm doing is is considered one of the best sustained five eights in the country, which I think is fantastic. It's you know it's going to be spicy because it's in the Cascades. There's a big approach. There's a big descent. Um, but it's kind of accessible for, for everyone that's kind of a moderate trad climber. And mm -hmm. um, I can't wait to, can't wait to bring, bring a trip report back and, and attempt it. Um, it's been fun kind of learning a little bit of alpinism in this journey of rock climbing as well. So. Yeah, because that's a whole other world. <laughs> it, it is. It is getting, I, I never knew you could also like rock climb, but I never knew you could like get to a climb and have already done like five miles and be really tired. Yeah. <laughs> It's a whole different sport. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, I don't just get to walk up to the wall and go. There's yeah, like a whole process. <laughs> wait, there's no parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I can't wait to see all of your pictures and videos. Yeah, no, you I can't wait to there. Yeah, you have really good pictures and videos. Do you? I guess you dabble in photography as well. I do. I dabble in photography. My entire Instagram is purely devoted to just like taking pictures of things that make me happy. Um, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I had all these like big grand plans to be like, you know, a Jimmy Chin wannabe and bring all, and, you know, be, bring all this camera gear up and, and all that stuff. But when you get into these types of climbs, you realize that weight is a, the utmost uh, like importance. Yeah. Um, or lack thereof. And unfortunately, it's been an iPhone the entire time, but I'm really trying to work on systems to keep weight down and keep uh, and get camera gear up. And I think I'm kind of getting there. But I do hope to share my adventures and, and share my journey, um, you know, yeah. for, the time, for, the, for the future, for the time being. So. Yeah. I mean, even just iPhone pictures, they, they look beautiful. You're Thank definitely you. talented with that. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, of course. So why I, did you, what? Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say like, what made you choose the Southwest rib just because it's sustained five, eight or. Was there's there... a couple there's a couple pitches on it that make me really really kind of excited um 
the pitches I'm going to lead specifically, there's one called wavy crack, which is just this, it's this big, like five, six diagonal crack. I think it's the first, it's the second pitch actually. But then the man, there's this pitch that's really funny called the bear hug pitch. And it is a dual off width. And in the middle of the off width is a big rock face. And you basically hug this rock face for 80 feet. Oh, whoa. This is why it's called the bear hug. And it's, uh, it's protected with like five, a five and a six on each side. So you can just kind of bump up this kind of the beta. Um, but it just, it's one of those things I really want to get out of the way. There's a, there's a few of these like epic pitches in the North Cascades that you really have to work for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what excites me. I mean, a lot of it is like, you know, hard climbing followed by like some, some like scrambling, like low fifth class followed by like a hard pitch followed by some more scrambling. And that's kind of what alerts me um, to these higher pitches. But yeah, that's why we chose it. Uh, the rock quality is also very good. It's also a relatively moderate route and um, provides for some great views. So that sounds like it's going to be just the most amazing time. Yeah, I hope the weather window works. Send us positive vibes to Washington. I absolutely will. <laughs> and you said you like to write too. Um, what kind of things do you like to write about? Typically, my writing revolves around books I've read, and then sometimes I will journal although i'm notoriously known for never sharing my writing except sometimes you'll get little blips of it in my instagram uh uh, captions (laughs) (laughs) i do totally understand that because i i also journal as well and i'm it's it's very personal like it's it's just for you you know yeah and like i do like so much of me wants to share all of my beautiful experiences but also like I think writing for me is still like it's like two parts the first one is like it's for me right now and then the second one is I don't really feel like I I have a whole lot to say um but that's just me being like probably down on myself because I do love writing I eventually do want to share things but Mm -hmm. I kind of want to get a little bit more climbing and experience under my belt before I kind of dive into a theme of what I want to share but I think I'm starting to kind of put the pieces together and just how beautiful everything is between starting the climb and getting to the summit. Like this whole community and experience is, is definitely easy to write about. Yeah. I mean, I feel like when you go outside or for me, like climbing, it's very, I mean, I'm very present in the moment and I'm not really thinking about much else other than what I'm doing. But definitely like coming off of the experience, I feel like I specifically have so much in mind and I it's like I come away with like this clarity or wisdom every time. Like the mountains definitely, they do speak to you. Um, I feel like the saying the mountains are calling is a true statement because if it's like if you listen to the outdoors, you can like tap into their wisdom kind of. Yeah. I think like Kerouac says something, one of, one of his several stories, which by the way, he wrote a lot in the North Cascades. I don't know if you knew that. I Um, didn't. He actually lived in a fire lookout above Diablo Lake. And I forget the name of the story he specifically wrote up there, but a lot of his writing was inspired by uh, the Cascades. And it was Mm -hmm. something like the air was soft. The stars were so fine. And like the promise of like everything was so great. I thought I was in a dream and, that that type of thing like you can definitely feel that and you don't it's not this grand adventure i mean you can have your grand adventure anywhere and it doesn't necessarily even need to be rock climbing but i think for me and you specifically like what climbing has brought us is like that ability to like feel like when we're in that present moment mm-hmm. you know clipping or like being on a scary lead like it's still like very dreamy in a sense yeah it's very dreamy yeah so I guess, you know, we're all on a journey of life um, and it sounds like you're starting to like figure out, you know, what you want and your passions. Do you hope that you'll be in like, a like, I guess, do you hope that you'll be in a certain place or are you curious to see where the journey takes you? Like, where do you hope all of this leads one day? Have you thought about that? Yeah, I have. So I'm, vehemently adamant about the fact that you got like one chance on this planet and I'm not going to be 75 years old and 
look back and wish that I, you know, did this or that, or like think about the things that I could have done. I'm vehemently adamant about the fact that I'm going to be 75 or 80 and just be like, okay, like that was quality. Like, yeah, it's time to rest now if I need to rest. Um, so as far as a end state, I think I'm going to continue to do what makes me incredibly happy. Um, I don't have a defined goal of what I'm going to do or what I'm going to be. I just know that it's going to make me happy. Like my, my father always told me like every time he set a goal for himself, like he underestimated himself. And I've always thought about that. And that's always kind of hit me really hard. Like that's interesting. Yeah. It is. And, and I think that most people do that to themselves because it's kind of a defense mechanism. It's like, well, you know, if I get there, it'll be like kind of good enough. Um, but it's not like you are, you are so much larger than like the sum of your parts. And I don't know if it's society or if it's a defense mechanism for people, but like people really, really underestimate themselves. And that's another huge thing that climbing has allowed me to see is that I'm this 32 year old guy that was 970 feet up a wall last week, just like hanging on three pieces of gear and just having the time of my life. You, at 30 years old, I could have, I, I didn't even know what gear was. Like I, I couldn't tell you that mm -hmm. that would, and I would also say that, that was stupid, but <laughs> I, you know, that's the stuff that makes you happy. And that's the stuff that makes the 75 year old you happy and yeah. it inspires others too. So like, I'm going to keep doing that. I think, you know, and it doesn't mean I'm going to like live on the road and climb all the time. I mean, that sounds perfect. And I will create space in my life to do that. Um, yeah, I'm long with the answer, but very passionate about it, I guess. No, I, I love that answer. And I think you really hit the nail on the head there because I forget the quote exactly, but there's a quote that says something along the lines of when our lives come to an end, like you shouldn't be pretty and like all in one piece. Like you should be like, like worn out mm -hmm. and yeah, just have enjoyed your life. Um, you know, don't always play it so safe where you're too afraid to like, take a chance on yourself, you know? And I think you're right. Climbing definitely, it shows you that you have all these preconceived limitations um, of yourself and what you can do. And then when you just really put your mind to something, whether it's climbing or something else, you'll find that you can do anything as long as you want to enough. Um, and so that's interesting that your dad said that because I've never thought about that. Um, but yeah, I guess you, it's easy to underestimate yourself if you're like, oh, I want to do this and then that's good enough. But it's like, but what would be great, you know? I think it also sets you in a box. Yeah. When you set the pathway, you blank out everything to the right and everything to the left of it. And to mm -hmm. the right or to the left of it, it may be climbing or it may be skiing or it may be painting or something that you just never knew you could do and you can't because you're so focused on this one thing and you predefine yourself. Um, but I mean, do you remember, do you remember what, what the last quote uh, at the end of Valley Uprising was? Do you remember that? Oh, I can't remember it off the top of my head. It was a Jack, was a Jack Kerouac quote. And he says, because you won't remember the time spent uh, in the office or mowing the lawn. Oh. Goddamn mountain. So it's like, that, yes. I do remember that. I forgot that that was at the end though, but I absolutely love that quote. I think right. it is so true. So true. I mean, you know, yeah, you have one life. And I think that that's something climbing specifically has taught me but over the last year i've really come to realize is that you have one life to live and i actually looked at a cal i think it was like a calendar or something like that and somebody had taken the time to lay out like a hundred years and then they calculated if you spend like Monday through Friday, eight to five in the office, and you only do what you want to do on the weekends. It came down to, it was like 11 years out of a hundred years that you would spend doing the things you truly wanted to do. And that was mind blowing. I'm like, imagine if you had 11 years to live and what, what did you do with it? You know? So it's like, but granted, we're never given tomorrow, but I'm like, oh my gosh, out of a hundred years, that's it. If you only do the things you want two days of the week, that's like, that's crazy. So 
yeah, I think definitely climbing opened my eyes to that and just every day is meant to be lived. If today was your last day, what would you do with it? Would you make it count? And I think whatever your answer is to how do you, how you would spend your last day, like the things you really want to do, I think those are the things you should pursue. So. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the idea that dreams can happen on a Thursday night. Yeah. Not, not on Saturday and dreams. I think that kind of sub-quoting the Arcteryx video, um, 35, like dreams like don't have to happen on a vacation and they don't have to happen on the weekend. And also to sub-quote Alex Honnold uh, from a short film that Jared Leto made, like it's not, it's not like, how long you live your life it's like the quality that you live your life with like the time that you're given because obviously as as a climber he and and others like and i think it's a very healthy thing to do and i think our society doesn't do it enough but like think about death a lot yeah and you know that's that it can just happen like it, it really can and like are you happy with yourself knowing that it can happen like tomorrow like something to think about and i think that's actually um a very uncomfortable topic for a lot of people, but I also think that it's one that people really need to think about because, and, and it's inevitable, you know, it's going to happen to everyone on this planet at some point. And if you spend your whole life avoiding the fact that death will happen, then I don't know that you'll ever truly live because you'll just, there's this, actually there's this um, speech and, I can't remember the name of the speech specifically, but on YouTube, it's on a channel called Absolute Motivation, and the video is called Why You're Wasting Your Life Away. And it's this whole speech about death being inevitable, but we all assume we're immortal. We assume that we're just going to have tomorrow, but tomorrow's never guaranteed. And so I feel like if you can come to terms with the fact that one day you will leave this earth and you can become comfortable with that, then it kind of opens the door to, I should just be doing what I want to do because it's like, what are, what are you saving for your whole life or what are you waiting for? You know, you only have now. It's it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting speech and I highly recommend that everyone listen to it. I will definitely check that out. Um, right after this, um, I think we talked about before, uh, I read a lot of like stoic philosophy, um, which is actually Mm -hmm. kind of becoming like pop culture um, because of its messages that kind of everybody can relate to. But Marcus Aurelius, to paraphrase a quote that he said, like he wrote himself in a journal one night or one day or whatever, he's like, you can leave this life right now. So let that determine what you think, what you say and what you do. And that's another very powerful one that yeah. I think often, like you, you just don't know and it is uncomfortable but at the same time there's a beauty in the idea that everything is ripe with impermanence and for me that just kind of it motivates me I guess you know mm-hmm. yeah I think it motivates me too um, and I think that I talk about this a lot but I think people need to ask themselves uncomfortable questions. I recommend everybody do that. Ask yourself what you want. Ask yourself, why Why are you holding yourself back? And just ask yourself things. Be very, very honest with yourself, and the answers might surprise you. Um, it might open your eyes to a completely different version of yourself that you didn't know was there. It's very, it's very yeah. interesting, yeah. Um, well, so I guess we can maybe start wrapping up. Do you have anything else you want to talk about or say? No, I, uh, I had a really great conversation with you. It's very, very refreshing just to sit down with somebody and talk about the things that interest me. So, um, I appreciate you having me on the podcast. I I will say I'm incredibly impressed by your journey. It's very inspiring. So thank you. um, just, Just as you encourage me, I encourage you to, to keep it up. Um, I'm being a hypocrite here, but I encourage you to share your writing and, um, this is this is very inspiring. It makes me want to like have a journal or something. I, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure about a podcast because I hate listening to my own voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can relate to that. I was I was like that for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. Each episode, I 
ask my guests to um, pick a cause or a charity that they they feel inspired by or that they want to just spread the word about. So which one did you choose and why? So I am super passionate and adamant about individuals who take time out of their day, take time out of their months or even years and go out and groom and maintain and make safe the places that we love to go play. Um, there are a bunch of local bolting societies in the United States and if you climb in New River, if you climb in Red River, if you climb in Yosemite, if you climb in at Smith Rock, um, anywhere in the United States, just go on to Google and search X location climbing bolting or something like that into Google. Find your local um, group that, that, that bolts and makes anchors and, 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 and root finds and stuff and donate to them. But if you can't do that or unable, the access fund is where I, I donate periodically. And they do such a great job of buying up and preserving climbing lands for us to go play in um, to make routes safe. And they actually do also allocate donations and bolts and gear to those local uh, bolting groups. Um, so definitely, definitely donate to them because it will be investing in your own leisure and your own safety. And can't emphasize that enough. I actually really want to get involved in, in bolting uh, sometime here soon, but that's a totally different topic. So yeah, um, I actually yeah. would love to do that too. Um, yeah. yeah, the access fund is great. And so every time that someone chooses their cause, I also personally make a donation. Um, cool. And then I will leave all the information to find out more about the access fund in the show notes. And then also if people want to find you online and keep up with your journey, where can they find you? I am on Instagram at InstaKCT. So definitely look for me and hit me up if you live in the local area. Um, hit me up to go climbing or something like that. It'd be, it'd be awesome. Yeah, totally. You can meet so many new people. Um, sure. But thank you for joining me. I really, really enjoyed this. No, this was awesome. Thanks for having me. Uh, I appreciate it. And, and keep doing what you're doing. It's super inspiring and awesome. Thank you. You too. That wraps up my interview with Casey. It was such a pleasure talking with him. If you want to stay up to date with him, don't forget to follow him on Instagram. Also check out the Access Fund, see how you can donate and get involved. I've left a link in the show notes for you as always. And again, I wanted to thank Audible for sponsoring this episode. If you want to try a 30-day free trial of Audible, go to audibletrial.com slash bound for everywhere. And in the meantime, remember that adventure begins when you step into the unknown and stay bound for everywhere. Mm -hmm.